My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Our Lord says in Saint John, in all truth I tell you, when you were young you put on your own belt and walked where you liked. But when you grow old you will stretch out your hands and somebody else will put a belt around you and take you where you would rather not go. These words of our Lord seem rather appropriate to describe the life of Pope Saint John Paul II. Today we celebrate his 100th birthday. There's been a lot of noise in the media about this. Pope Benedict has issued a statement. The Polish Episcopal Conference have issued a letter to remind us of this great Pope that God has given to us. Fulton Sheen liked to say that every 500 years, God gives a very special Pope to the church. In the year 500, I can't remember who it was, but I think the year 1000, it was a Gregory. In 1500, it was Pope Pius V. And he liked to talk then about something similar happening with Pope John Paul the Great. We're at an interesting moment to be able to cast a contemplative gaze, a phrase he used to use himself, over his pontificate and over his life. I was in Rome in 1978 when he was elected, October 16. And the first words he said when he came out onto the balcony of St. Peter's were in Italian, da un paese montano Petro è venuto a Roma, from a faraway country. Peter has come to Rome. It was a major upset. Everybody was talking about which Italian cardinal was going to be the next pope. And suddenly this unknown figure comes from Poland. People in the square were trying to figure out his name, who this person might be, what part of Italy he was from. And there were all sorts of amusing stories as people began to realize that he wasn't Italian, but that he was from this faraway country. Centuries had passed since there was a non-Italian Pope. There was an index of what was going to happen. Pope John Paul II, to a large extent, he changed the papacy. He took as his motto, Totus Tuus, the Marian Pope. He was elected in October. He started his first trip, international trip to Mexico, the following January, just three months later. He made the papacy very visible. That was an enormous success. People were out on the streets in their millions. The Mexican government had not wanted to receive him because they had no diplomatic relations with the Holy See. It was a very anti-clerical country. But Pope John Paul, who was used to dealing with communist governments, told them, well, tell them I'm coming anyway. He was ready to come as a private citizen. That would have been a big embarrassment for them, so they had to receive him. And the trip was such a success that it was followed by something like 190 other international trips. He had come from this country, Poland, from totalitarian oppression, 
massacres, the degradation of the nation and of the soul of the country. He had seen Jewish friends being taken from him to the Holocaust. He was deprived of his mother, I think, when he was about two. His father died when he was 18 or 19 or 20. A brother died when he was 11. All those people on whom he could have depended were taken away from him. He talked about how when he was a young kid, waking up at night and seeing his father on his knees, praying in the middle of the night. He said, this was my first, the first seminary for me. See the prayer of my father on his knees in the middle of the night. Those of you who are going to be young parents, think a little bit about that. Last week, the process of beatification of his parents was opened by the church. Someday, hopefully, we will read a lot about those holy parents that he had. And when we think of his father on his knees in the middle of the night praying, well, we can imagine that he wasn't praying that Manchester United would win the Premier League. And so this soul was entrusted to this man to form the soul of a pope. There is a, an American educationalist called Stenson, you'll find his books in Strathmore University, I think, who talks about how we all have to try and live like great human beings in order to help our children to see what that means so that they too can live like great human beings, practicing the virtues, living a life of virtue, facing all the challenges. Pope John Paul was brought up surrounded by communism, deprived of everything that we might take for granted, security, family, hope and meaning. He was thrown back at an early age on the only resources a human being can ever truly rely on, the irrefutable knowledge that we are divinely created, the unalterable fact that we were created in dignity and far dignity. And the reassurance that God is the good shepherd who walks with us and guides us and heals us, calling us constantly to him. It's good as we learn a little bit about the Holocaust and the Second World War and all these things that were taking place in Eastern Europe that have now been forgotten by many people. And to understand a little bit the atmosphere in which he, he grew up. We've probably heard of the concentration camp called Auschwitz, one of the biggest concentration camps during the Second World War. And that was in the Diocese of Krakow. And so Pope John Paul had seen living hells. He had seen what happens when human dignity and human persons are debased. And so you find him talking with great strength about the dignity of the human person, the dignity of man, the dignity of women, the dignity of the family. Pope Benedict also came from the Diocese of Munich where Dachau concentration camp was created. <clears throat> so we find these two popes speaking very strongly about these themes. A great message for the 21st century 
after the 20th century, which he, he called had been a, a century of blood, of martyrs. And so this experience <coughs> forms the basis for a lot of his early encyclicals. Pope John Paul wrote about 15 encyclicals. To a large extent, they contain the ideas with which God wants to shape the church for the 21st century. It would be a really good idea to try and read one of those encyclicals each year. Some of them are easy to read, some of them are not so easy, but they contain some fantastic ideas in this great mind. Shortly after he was elected, in 1981, he suffered an assassination attempt. I was in Europe at the time, but I was, I should say before that, I attended his consecration in, in October 22. He was elected on October 16, he was consecrated 22nd. And at that ceremony, I don't remember very much about it, but I do remember that there's a moment in the, in the ceremony when all the cardinals have to file up and promise their obedience there were 120 cardinals. And the choir throughout that period, which must have taken 30, 45 minutes, kept singing the Latin phrase from the Gospel of St. Matthew, Tu es Petrus, et super ant petrum edificabo ecclesia meum. You are Peter. Now this rock I will build my church. And you hear that sung 120 times, but it sort of leaves its mark. The importance of Peter. We also can pray to Peter, for Peter. I heard the secretary of Pope John Paul II on a tour of the Vatican Gardens once at a statue of a young Saint Peter, where the chains are falling from his hands. He said, this is my favorite statue. I come to here to pray to Peter, for Peter. Because if you think about it, probably the saint in heaven that is closest to the Pope is Saint Peter. Rather nice idea. And then we had the assassination attempts, which sent shockwaves around the world. There wasn't, wasn't really clear whether he was going to live or die. Some people said that a 60-year-old man who had two bullets into his abdomen, he probably wouldn't live very long. But 190 international trips later, they had to change their their ideas. They had one of the longest pontificates in the whole of church history. The Marian Pope, in spite of the contradictions, had done incredible things. The president of Opus Dei, at that time he wasn't the prelate, he was the president general of Opus Dei. Opus Dei became a person of prelature later in 1992, 1982 rather, a year or two later. He went to see him. He wasn't receiving any anybody, but he received Juan Alberto del Portillo, now blessed Alberto del Portillo. Rather interesting to look back now after a number of decades. Imagine that scene where Saint John Paul II receives blessed Alberto del Portillo. Blessed Alberto del Portillo said something unusual to him. He said, Holy Father, Our Lady has sent you these bullets. Rather unusual thing to say, as though Our Lady goes around with an AK-47. And then he continued saying, she has sent you these bullets because she wants to make you suffer. 
Because in making you suffer, she draws you closer to herself. And in drawing you closer to herself, she draws you closer to her son. And the Pope sat up in bed and said, well, that's the way I see things also. And the following year to the day, on the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, May 13, 1982, he made a pilgrimage to Fatima to thank Our Lady for having saved his life. And with him he brought, brought the bullet that had pierced his abdomen. And he said to Our Lady as he handed her the bullet, I think this is yours. And now that bullet has been implanted into the crown of Our Lady of Fatima. As a testimony for all time of how Our Lady saved the life of the Pope. And so the Marian Pope went on to do amazing things. In 1989, we had the fall of communism. Difficult for us to fully appreciate the importance of that event. It's worthwhile reading a little bit about it. There were leaders at the time, President Reagan, Gorbachev, Margaret Thatcher, have all said publicly that they attributed the fall of communism to Pope John Paul II. A number of years ago, when I was living in Singapore, there was a a lecture in a secular university given by some representative from the U.S. Embassy. And they talked about the two powers that there are in the church, in the world rather, two powers. There's the hard power and there's the soft power. And this uh, American diplomat said the hard power in the world is the, the power of the B-52 bombers that are flying around the place all the time. And he said the soft power is the, is the power of the Vatican. It doesn't have any B-52 blockers. And he said, sometimes we've come to realize that often the soft power can be more effective than the hard power. He was referring to the role of the Holy See in the fall of communism, in particular the role of John Paul II. John Paul II lifted up the papacy on the world stage. When Pope Francis came here a few years ago, he stepped off the plane and as though the country stood still, everybody realized who this Pope was. Muslims wanted to be present at his mass. I think a lot of that was prepared by the troops of John Paul II. The ambassador of the United Kingdom to the Holy See, a Catholic, a number of years ago said how <clears throat> Margaret Thatcher, after she Stopped being the Prime Minister, she came to visit Rome a few times, twice to visit the tomb of John Paul II and once to meet Pope Benedict. <clears throat> when she was coming, this man said, I asked people in the embassy to look in the archives and see if there was a photograph of herself with John Paul II. And they found this beautiful photograph and so he put it on the grand piano in the main living room of the embassy. So that when Margaret Thatcher walked into the room, the first thing she would see would be this photograph of herself with John Paul II. And so she came, she went into the room, she saw this picture and she admired it very much. She liked it a lot. And the ambassador thought, well, I scored some points. That's very nice. But then she went home and about a week later, <clears throat> her secretary called the ambassador asking if it was possible. She said, Mrs. Thatcher, would like to have that photograph of herself with John Paul II. So the ambassador was doubly happy. He felt he'd really scored points. 
So they wrapped it up very carefully and they sent it off to London. And a week later, the secretary called to tell him, look, I thought you might like to know that Mrs. Thatcher used to have a photograph of herself and President Ronald Reagan on her desk. Now she's taken that away and she has replaced it with a photograph of herself and Pope John Paul II. An indication of the esteem that he was held in the international community by people who are not Catholics. Gorbachev said something similar. I've heard a story from the papal spokesman, Joaquin de Baravals, that one time there was a conference in Eastern Europe about the state of the world. And Henry Kissinger was there. Henry Kissinger was the Jewish Secretary of State, I think at the time of Jimmy Carter, or maybe later. Possibly he's still alive. He was perhaps the Secretary of State to beat all Secretary of States. He had enormous prestige. And he came to the spokesman of the Pope at that conference and said that I think the presentation of the Holy See at this conference has been the best presentation, the best sums up the situation of the world today. And after he said that, he asked the papal spokesman, and do you think the next time I'm in Rome, you could get me an audience with Pope John Paul II? Yeah. He said he was like a 14-year-old kid asking for a big favor. And so the prestige of John Paul II was something enormous. The man who organized his funeral, one of the main monsignors there in Rome, <clears throat> which was a funeral that saw all the leaders all over the world come. Prince Charles postponed his wedding. Nobody wanted to miss that event. I've heard that the country in the world that has most embassies around the world is the United States, something like 180. There's about 180 countries in the world. But the next country after that that has most embassies around the world, amazingly, is the Holy See. We knew very little about that. So all these countries, Arab countries included, sent their presidents and their prime ministers, and their kings and their queens. And this Monsignor, who was one of the main organizers of the funeral, was asked by somebody, there was, was there anything that struck him particularly during the funeral of Pope John Paul II? Any particular thing that was left marked in his mind a little more? And he said, well, yes, he said there was the moment when they had to accompany three American presidents to kneel at the coffin of John Paul II, two Bushes and a Clinton. It wasn't enough for the US to send one president, three of them came. They said, I was kneeling right behind them as they knelt at the coffin of John Paul II. He said, I always knew that JP II was a pretty important man in the world, but you know, when you're kneeling behind three American presidents who are kneeling at his coffin, it's sort of brings it home to you a little more. After his election as Pope, he invited the world in his opening speech to open the doors of their hearts to Christ, especially young people. Open your minds and your hearts. One of his favorite phrase was that, phrases was that in Christ we find the meaning and the purpose of our life. In Christ we find the meaning and the purpose of our life. And that's true, not just for Catholics, but for every human person on the planet, every last person in China. 
And so he was very Christocentric. He was a great man for symbols. He said, through the signs and symbols, we go to the great spiritual mysteries. The church is full of signs and symbols, ways of the cross, holy water, crucifixes, rosary beads. When he landed in a new country, he liked to kneel down and kiss the ground. Very symbolic. He called together the world's religious leaders to pray for peace at Assisi. He prayed at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem and inside the mosque in Damascus. He asked for forgiveness for the sins of the church's history. Whether it was the grinding poverty of economic injustice or the death penalty or war and the denigration of life at the beginning and end of our existence, he was never afraid to speak out and to challenge perceived orthodoxies nor should we. When he went to one of the World Youth Days in, I think it was in Denver, Colorado, President Clinton flew there to receive him personally, didn't just send an envoy. And standing beside President Clinton on the tarmac of the airport, he talked about a democracy without values is no true democracy. Very impressive thing for a Pope to say standing on the soil of the United States of America, considering themselves the greatest democracy in the world. And of course, everybody knew he was talking about the fact that there was no democracy for the unborn. You hope that Mrs. Clinton was, was listening. Pope John Paul said the greatest moral problem in the world today is the problem of abortion. Another interesting thing to think about when we hear so many people making so much noise about climate change, which of course is important also. But the life, the sacredness of human life, the most basic human life. And so he says in Evangelium Vitae that we have to be unconditionally pro-life. Unconditionally pro-life. He wrote a lot of social encyclicals, Institutudo Rei Socialis, Laborum Exertions. Preparing the church for the 21st century and for the third millennium. He said that when he was <clears throat> recovering from this assassination attempt, the Holy Spirit had sort of let him see that God wanted him to lead the church into the third millennium. And so we have a great person in our midst who has left us a great legacy. He led the church across the threshold of hope. Whatever God asked of him, he accepted. He placed his gifts at the disposal of this new mission. Often I think that one of the most iconic photographs of this whole papacy, of which there were many, was when he was in the prison cell visiting Ali Agka, the man who had tried to kill him. He went to visit his assassin, to forgive him, to say, I forgive you. Papal spokesman later on said that Aliaka did not ask for forgiveness. The only question he's asked was, who was this Lady Fatima? Because I have never missed before. And so the church in the world somehow 
believed this was Our Lady of Fatima that guided those bullets. In his document, Salvifici Dolores, <coughs> Sorrow of Sacrifice, Suffering, he said, Suffering is present in the world in order to release love, in order to give birth to works of love towards neighbor, in order to transform the whole of civilization into a civilization of love. He coined many buzz phrases and buzz words, the culture of life, the civilization of love. The womb is the sanctuary of life. He's given us the theology of the body that can sort of be the antidote to the whole of the sexual revolution of the last 50 years, where the world has forgotten the meaning of human love, one of the most beautiful realities on the planet, and a reflection of divine love. That message of which we are now the bearers to give witness to it, and the way we live out human love, marriage and chastity in modesty and purity and we bring out a crusade of purity and modesty and, and love of holiness to the whole world young people we know are hungry to hear these things the devil has messed up this message panoramically and so we have to change that and we have the other encyclicals of familiaris consortio veritatis splendor so many wonderful things that we can learn from this late great Pope. The courage to accept what God has in store for us. The tenacity to preach the gospel in season out of season, wherever we find ourselves. The capacity for keeping our minds and hearts in what is essential. I was at a pro-life conference in Manila many years ago, and there was a lady doctor from Liverpool there, which said a few simple phrases that struck me very much. She said, we can be very proud of our church. I'd been a Catholic for 40 years, a priest for 10, but I didn't remember ever hearing anybody saying something like that before. Because she said, our church is the number one healthcare worker in the world. Our church is the only church in the world that has stood by the sacredness of human life in the last 50 years. Very powerful words. And of course, John Paul II was a, a leader in all of this, out in the vanguard in the battle for life. He helps us to see that and helps us to realize that in this world today, we could be very proud also of our church. We don't have a lot to be proud of. The papers may say every day we should be a change in our church because of its teaching on contraception, abortion, euthanasia, divorce stem cell research, a whole pile of things. But the answer is that we have the truth, the splendor of truth. And when we apply that truth in science and all sorts of other ways, that's when the authentic development comes about. Last year, or two years ago, Pope Francis went to Dublin, Ireland, where I'm from, to celebrate the World Day of Families. And there was a journalist who wrote an article about his arrival saying that he'd been accompanied by 1,300 journalists, 1,300, that's about 10 plane loads of journalists. And the journalist in his article was musing about this because he said that President Trump, who came the year before, had about half that number. And so the journalist, unwittingly, without realizing it, had sort of said that we think of the President of the United States as the leader of the world, but the real leader of the world is the Vicar of Christ on earth. To a large extent, 
Pope John Paul II lifted up the papacy to take that place. Prayer above all was the center of his life. We can be inspired by Pope John Paul's remarkable reliance on prayer. He was a man of contemplation as much as a man of action. He knew when to withdraw, to be silent, to offer everything to Christ. And so on this birthday, we could try to make a resolution, follow in his footsteps, to open our hearts to Christ, to be more serious in our Christian vocation, to ask ourselves, what can I do with my life, with my time, with my energy? <clears throat> what contribution does God want me to make with the days or decades that I, I have left to me? Pope John Paul knew that his strength came from the, the only strength that is real and lasting in our world, namely the constant love of God. He lived that love in the core of his being and dedicated himself wholly to that love. On a trip to Baltimore in the United States, the Jesuit priest who was organizing his trip, all the details of his trip, went to visit the Archbishop's palace where the Pope was going to stay and see his room, etc., etc. And he's walking down a corridor and he discovered that one of the rooms led into a chapel. And all the doors of the rooms looked the same in the corridor. So he told the people, now when the Pope was here, you keep that door tightly shut. Because whenever the Pope learned that there's a chapel or an oratory, he goes in there and he doesn't come out, and the whole schedule gets ruined. So then the Pope came and he was coming down the corridor the following morning. All the doors were closed in the corridor. And he passed the door of the chapel, but then he stopped. He went back, knocked on the door, opened it a little bit, saw it was a chapel, and he went in. And that was the end of their schedule for the day. And so this Jesuit priest remarked that the Pope had the sixth sense. The sixth sense for the presence of our Lord in the tabernacle. And on this feast day, we could ask Our Lady, Mother of the Church, to help us also to have that sixth sense. That we might take all the great lessons that Pope John Paul II has, has sent to us. And one of the other things he did was to put an image of Our Lady in St. Peter's Square, Matra Mother of the Church. He gave us the mysteries of light. So many things for which we have to thank him for. So Mother of the Church, may you help us to look to this great saint that you've given to us. For our example, for our life, to be more inspired, to be more apostolic. Do we take the baton and run with it? We spread his message of the theology of the body and so many other great messages all throughout our life in all the places where God has sent us. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me during this meditation. I ask your help to put them into practice. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Holy Mary, our hope, seat of wisdom, and handmaid of the Lord, pray for us.